Romans chapter 3, beginning in the ninth verse. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come before you and we acknowledge as the scripture says that we have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We acknowledge that we need you every hour, every minute. We acknowledge that you are our righteousness, that our holiness is only when we are in Christ. God, we ask now that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, you would break in and that you would speak to us here gathered in this room. Grant us understanding, grant us application that we can faithfully follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have been at odds with someone before? How many of you have been at odds with someone before? Well, a lot of the scriptures proving to be true here this morning that we have sinners gathered thing. Everybody should have their hand up thing. At some point or not, all of us have been at odds with someone. You've probably left a conversation or you've left a meeting thinking, is everything okay with that person? Is everything all right between us? You've probably had that conversation at some point with someone seeking to understand, are we good here? Which means, are we in good relationship? Are we in good standing with one another? All of us know what it means to be at odds with someone. When we're at odds with someone, what happens? Usually our stomach turns a little bit. Usually we get a little less sleep. And then what begins to happen? we begin to do weird things so that we can avoid the person that we're at odds with, right? So that person gets to work at 8 o'clock, right? And I start work at 8. Well, for the first time ever, I'm going to start getting to work at 7.45 so I don't have to walk in with that person. You see, that broken relationship, now that you're at odds with that person, all of a sudden cause you to begin to do other things so that you can avoid that person, or so that when you're in the company of that person, you're always with someone else. Or you do everything you can to avoid the subject 
that put you at odds with that person. We all know what it's like to be at odds with someone. It puts us in a state of unhappiness. How many times are you at odds with someone and you're like, oh, I'm just doing great thing, doing great. You're in a state of perpetual happiness when you're at odds with someone. No, you're in a perpetual state of grief or in a perpetual state of anger or discontentment. But when you're at odds with someone, you're not in a perpetual state of happiness. This morning, Scripture is making an indictment against you and I. Scripture is laying forth a serious charge against you and I and against every human being. It's laying forth the indictment that every human being is at odds with God. The Apostle Paul is writing in Romans chapter 3, summarizing the first couple of chapters in his letter, chapter 1 and 2, and basically finish the first couple of paragraphs of the letter of Romans by saying, okay, hey, look at me at verse 9. as He says, all right, Jews, Greeks, doesn't matter who you are, Jews, now that would be a big deal. So when the Apostle Paul says Jews in verse 9, he's saying, okay, you special people of God, people that have been entrusted with God's message, the Jews had been entrusted to, to be God's people, to be God's blessing to earth. Even that, okay, Jews, not just the Jews, but the Greeks who were considered the non-Jews, the best of the non-Jews. All of you, you're at odds with God. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, if you're a non-Jew, what's the charge? You're under sin. You're at odds with God. This morning, I would argue that everybody here in this room wants to be in a perpetual state of happiness. Who doesn't wake up in the morning and says, I want to be happy? Or who wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I hope today's horrible. I hope today that I'm unhappy at every turn. Nobody wakes up and says that. Everybody wants to be what? In a perpetual state of happiness. In other words, paradise. Who, who doesn't want to live in paradise? All of us want to live in paradise. And you know what? God created paradise, the Garden of Eden. If we remember what we talked about last week, we looked at the creation story. God creates paradise. And as God is creating, what does God say? It was good. But then something happens. Paradise is lost. Adam and Eve were in a perpetual state of happiness. Adam and Eve were set up for an eternal life, a consistent state of happiness. But then paradise was lost. In other words, the blessing was lost and a curse was brought. And we heard that this morning from Genesis chapter 3. Most of you have probably heard the story. Adam and Eve in the garden. They've been given paradise. They've been given a command by God not to eat of a specific tree. But when they eat of the specific tree, what happens? Paradise is lost. And if we would have read on in Genesis chapter 3, we would have seen that paradise is lost because now the ground is going to be hard to farm. Now women are going to have a lot of pain during childbirth. Pain is going to be evident everywhere because there's a curse put on earth because now all of humanity is under sin. In other words, paradise has been lost. This morning, you're striving after happiness. Everybody in this room is striving after happiness. But there's something blocking our happiness. And this morning, 
The Apostle Paul is telling us in Romans, the very thing blocking our happiness is the fact that we are at odds with God or the fact that we are sinners. So today's non-negotiable, today's non-negotiable is that all of humanity is or was under the power and guilt of sin. All of humanity is or was under the power and guilt of sin. That Notice the key word in there, is or was. You can be freed from the power and guilt of sin, but at some point you were under it or still under it. That's the indictment that Romans chapters 1 through 3 is making this morning. We've all heard about sin before, right? Sin is a word used almost every Sunday probably in worship. You probably grew up hearing the word sin. Well, what is sin? Let's, let's look together and see if we can understand what sin is. So let's look at uh, the J.I. Packer in the Concise Theology book gives us a broad definition of sin. As he looks at all of Scripture, this is his definition of sin. He says, Sin is the lack of conformity to the law of God in act, habit, attitude, outlook, disposition, motivation, and mode of existence. Basically, sin is not conforming to the way God made us to be. And what did we learn last week? Last week's non-negotiable was that God is the creator and the sustainer of the universe and humanity is created in His image. The problem is, is that we have sinned. Sin is not conforming to the image of God. So sin is not conforming to God's law. God's law is basically just God revealing Himself to us, revealing God's ways to us. Think of it like this. When you leave someone a note, what are you leaving them? Your instructions. You're leaving them kind of written desires for what you want to see happen. That's God's law. God's law is revelation. Him telling us basically what he wants to see happen in our lives and in all of creation. The problem is, is that you and I have rebelled against his law. We have not conformed to the way of God, but we've conformed to the ways of this world. We look, there's a deeper issue though. So if I asked you this morning, have you sinned this last week? For the most part, all of us would probably be willing to raise our hands and say that we have sinned. And if I asked you, what sin did you commit? You're going to think of a specific list, right? You're going to walk down a list of, did I lie? Did I steal? Did I lust? Was I greedy? And that's God's law. But there's actually a deeper issue, a, a root of all sin that leads to all of those other things. Look with me in Romans. If you turn back to Romans chapter 1 with me so that we can get to the root of sin. Romans chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul begins to lay out this argument. Romans chapter 1, beginning with the 18th verse. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Scripture says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to become wise, become wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. So let me summarize. Basically what he's saying is this, is that from the beginning of time, it's been evident and obvious that there is a God. Basically, Scripture is using the natural argument for God. So for example, if you and I were to travel across seas today to a small remote village where they've never heard the name of Jesus, they've never heard a word out of the Bible, the Apostle Paul is saying that in that village, it's still obvious that there is a God because of creation and because of the natural law that's instituted. So for example, if you're in that village and you walk up to someone who's carrying a basket of oranges and you go up and you just push them and grab six oranges from the basket and run the other way, what do you think is going to happen? They're probably going to get up and come after you, think. Well, they've never had the Bible given to them. They've never heard the word of Jesus. So what makes taking these six oranges wrong? The Apostle Paul is arguing that there's these absolutes, natural order to the way we were created. They're self-evident. Everyone would agree that you just stole. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, everything's self-evident that there's this natural order, yet what's happened is this. Humans have ignored that natural order and they've said, we know best. So if you look with me at verse 23 where it says, exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men. So basically what's happened is this. Humanity has taken the creator and said, hmm, there's no creator. So they take created things and put that in the place of the creator. That's why they have all of these idols. They build statues. Those are created things taking place of the creator. The main problem behind all of our sin is this. We've exchanged the glory of God for self-centeredness. The root of all sin is that we've exchanged the glory of God for self-centeredness. Think back to Adam and Eve. What was wrong with what Adam and Eve did? God had said to them, do not eat of this fruit. And then what did Adam and Eve do? They decide what's best for themselves. So they've put themselves in the place of God. They've said, no, we can make that decision on our own. So they took the place of the Creator. They said what, they took their self-interest to be what's best for them. At the heart of sin is the exchange of God for self. Look with me at Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, he makes this argument again. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We get a clear picture here of the difference between living a sinful life and living a righteous life. Romans 2, 6 through 8. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. You see the distinguishing again? The first time he says, so those who are seeking glory and honor and immortality. In other words, seeking to let God be God. 
are going to receive eternal life. But what's happening on the other spectrum is this. Those who are self-seeking. In other words, those who have said, I know best. It's not the creator, it's the created. It's, it's distinguishing between two different ways of living. And now what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. Every human in all of history has chosen this way. Self-seeking. Every human that's ever lived is at odds with God because they've said, I know what's best for me. Sin is putting self in place of the Creator. And what happens then when we put self in the place of Creator? We begin to follow whose laws? My laws. When I put myself in the place of Creator, I begin to decide what's best for me. So that's where we can get the definition of sin, that sin is the lack of conformity to the law of God. Because when I put self there, what happens? I'm not conforming to God's law, I'm conforming to my law. At the heart of sin is self-centeredness. And so when you and I commit adultery, when you and I lust after someone else, when you and I murder, when we hate someone else, I'm just using Jesus' teaching here, when you and I steal, when we're greedy for someone else's possessions, we've actually broke the first commandment before we broke those commandments. The first commandment, you shall have no other Lord or God before me. What happens is we break the first commandment, then all of a sudden we start to break all the other commandments because we follow our own rules about what we can look at, what we can do, what we can want. So every time you break a commandment, you've actually broke two commandments. The commandment you broke, you shall not murder, and also the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Because at the heart and the root of every sin is the fact that we've exchanged the Creator for the created. The issue for you and I this morning is that you and I are seeking happiness, which is fine. God never condemns seeking happiness. God never says, hey, don't seek happiness. What He condemns is the avenues with which we seek our happiness. So the problem is this, this morning. You and I are seeking our happiness, so what do we do? If I could only have this, then I'd be happy. Well, who's determining what this is? And any time we determine what this is, we've put a barrier between us and God, therefore putting us at odd with God, therefore removing us from paradise. Does that make sense? So anytime I choose something to make me happy that God hasn't identified as something I should choose, I'm putting myself at odds with God, therefore removing myself from paradise. So if I want to be in a state of happiness, I don't want to be at odds with God, but rather I want to be in perfect relationship with God, for that's paradise. That's a perpetual state of happiness. Therefore, I need to listen to what God says, the Creator says, is the good thing to do. But here's the problem. You and I constantly choose the wrong thing. You and I are sinners who constantly put ourselves in place of God. Basically, we need validation. We need approval, our own approval. And so we make decisions for ourselves. So what do we do? We choose wrong 
we keep choosing wrong, what do we do? Thankfully, there's good news. Look with me at Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 29, 21. This it may be inappropriate to say in church. Thing. Circle the but in verse 21. Verse 21 is the best but in Scripture. Circle it. Underline it. Memorize it. Verse 21. So up to verse 21, what's been happening? The Apostle Paul has basically said, hey, all of you are sinners. None of you are righteous. In other words, none of you are in right standing with God. Basically, you could read that and go, whew, hopeless. But, verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is the greatest but in all of history. Why? Because God is saying, yes, you continually choose to do wrong. Yes, you and I are at odds. But God has intervened. And he hasn't intervened by saying, okay, hey, just try harder. No, he's intervened by saying, I will be your righteousness. I will be your perfection. All you have to do is trust in Jesus. And when you trust in Jesus, the and then enmity, the oddity between you and God is removed. The perfect relationship is restored. Not because you have obeyed the law, but because you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has fulfilled the law. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, sin is destroyed, and now we're put in a brand new position, a brand new relationship with God, where I no longer hate the law, but now I love the law. So often in church, we've lifted up the law of God and we've said that the law of God is, all it's supposed to do is tell us that we're sinners. God's law is not a bad thing. God's law is a very good thing. It makes known to us that we have fallen short. But you know what? You and I should be in love with God's law after we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because God's law reveals what God wants for His creation. Just because I love God's law doesn't mean I'm a legalist. It doesn't mean that I'm earning my salvation. All it means is that I've come to faith in Jesus Christ and I want what Jesus wants. I want to fulfill God's law. You and I this morning are under, God, under sin. We stand guilty before God. Everyone here this morning, if I needed to prove it, we could just have everyone stand up, go back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, if you've lusted, you've committed adultery. If you've hated, you've murdered. Everyone here this morning, God commands us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We've all fallen short of that mark. We've made choices without saying, God, what do you want? And basically, Scripture says this morning, therefore, you're under sin. You stand guilty before God. But, but, God has broken in and granted us the righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. You and I are sinners. So what's the practical application today? Today's PAT, the practical application, the first is this and should be the most obvious. Confess. You and I need to acknowledge our sin to God. How, how can we hide it from the Creator? 
Some of us have been in church our whole lives and we've actually said the confession of sin over and over again. Lord, I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I have left good things undone. But yet we've never really confessed. We've never gone to God and said, God, today I lied to my coworker. We need to confess. Confession is good because it brings forgiveness. Confession releases the sin. It puts it out in the open. We need to honestly acknowledge who we are. In James chapter 5, maybe gives us the hardest command of all regarding confession. James chapter 5, it says, Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. Have you ever confessed to another human being your wrongdoing? Said to them, you know what? This is what I did. We need to do that. Why? So James chapter 5, so that we can be healed. Find another Christian. And if you're confessing to them, there shouldn't be judgment because they themselves have sinned as well. And they've experienced forgiveness and should extend it. The first thing we need to do is just confess. Second thing we need to do, this practical, it may not seem practical, but it is, we need to deal with the root issue. In other words, we need to stop shuffling the deck. How many of you when you have guests come over, you've got a bunch of stuff that you're like, oh, where do I put it? There's a closet right over there. Hurry up. Everything in the closet. Everything. Oh, we got like three things around here in the kitchen. I don't know where it goes. Where does it go? Junk drawer. So what are you doing basically? All you're doing is you're managing your junk. And when certain people come over, what do you do? You hide it. And then when your one aunt comes over that looks in every cupboard and every drawer, what do you do? You go to extra effort. Oh, he never goes down, she never goes down to the man cave. I'll just put a big tub in that closet downstairs. So you take extra effort to do what? Hide your junk. And then what happens? They leave, the junk just comes right back out. All you're doing is shuffling the deck. It's the same thing we've done with our sin. We show up on Sunday morning and we shuffle the deck. We manage our sin well enough that we can look good and that majority of it is hidden to those in our congregation so we can feel good about ourselves. But when we go home, the junk's still there. Forget the junk. Let's deal with the root issue. The root issue is that we need to say God is boss and I am not. So whatever the secondary issue today is, so for example, let's say the secondary issue is greed. You just constantly are buying more and more stuff. You constantly need something else to make yourself happy. Your root issue, you need to say, okay, what does God say about material goods? Your root issue is that you're making that determination, not God. God says, sell your stuff. Go back and deal with the root issue that God is God, you're not. Confess deal with the root issue. Our third practical application today is this. Boast in Jesus because you have nothing else to boast in. You stand before the judgment seat of God or right now you want to have a relationship with God, you've got nothing to boast in. The fact that you've been in church 52 Sundays in a row, throw it out the window. You can't boast about that before the throne of God. You've got one thing to boast in. 
Jesus Christ, because he's your righteousness, he's your perfection. When we sang those last two songs, nothing but the blood of Jesus, Lord, I need you, if your heart wasn't beating, if you didn't have emotion like you would after you scored a touchdown or like you would after something great just happened in your life, you need to examine your heart and your mind. I mean, think about this for a second. All of us know what it's like to say, that's my pride and joy, right? If we went around the room this morning and I said, what's your pride and joy? All of us would have something to share. This car, this house, uh, my daughter, whatever it might be. We've all got something that's our pride and joy. And you know what I mean when I say your pride and joy. What happens when you're with your pride and joy? You get excited. You show emotion. Jesus is our pride and joy. How much more should we get excited when we are standing with the one who gives us eternal life? When we get a chance to say, Jesus, nothing but you, there should be nothing but excitement building in my heart because he is all that I need. He is all that I have. Let me be very blunt with you this morning. If you've never gotten to the point where you've just wanted to jump up and down, or you've wanted to scream or show emotion, you need to examine your heart and your mind. Because maybe you haven't gotten to the point where you've realized the depth of your sin. If you've realized the depth of your sin, of how much trouble you are in before the judgment seat of God, when you hear the name of Jesus, there's nothing sweeter. There's nothing greater. Because He's your Savior. He's all you've got. Think about it this way for a second. When someone does something good for you, what do you usually respond with? Hey, whatever you need, give me a call sometime, right? And when someone does something really good for you, right? Whatever you need, I'll even take your kids for a weekend. Whatever you want. Why? Because that person was your savior at that moment. Now what? You just want, you just want whatever you want. How much more for Jesus who saves us from the wrath of God and from hell? How much more should we say, Jesus, whatever you want? Boast only in Jesus Christ because he's all we got to boast in. I can't go out to the city and say, oh, we've got a bunch of good people here at King of Glory. We don't. We've got a bunch of sinners We've got a bunch of people here, though, that want to boast in Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And therefore, we want to do what Jesus says to do. That's what we want to tell people, that Jesus has died for us. We want to tell people that now we want to do everything that Jesus says to do because we're boasting only in Jesus Christ. There's a radical charge being made this morning against you and I, that you and I are at odds with God. And that's the most important relationship in the whole universe. Because that's the one relationship that matters after we hit the grave. Scripture is saying we are at odds with God because we are under the power and the guilt of sin. But like I said in the opening statement about the non-negotiable, you don't have to be under the power and guilt of sin anymore. It can be a was statement. It can be a was statement by saying, Jesus, I trust in you as king. I don't trust in my own goodness anymore. And therefore, we can boast in Jesus Christ. I know all of you want to be happy today. Don't listen to me. 
Listen to God's word. That God's word says there's blessing when we work the law of God. One final verse. Turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. You may be wondering, where's this come from? Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Why am I arguing that to be in a perpetual state of happiness, our relationship with God needs to be fixed? Look with me at Psalm 1. Verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, not stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Look with me at the first word, blessed. Blessed just means this, to be put in a state of happiness. So who's in the state of happiness in this psalm? The person who delights in the law of the Lord. That's the person who's living in a state of blessing. So if I want to live in a state of blessing, what do I need to do? I need to delight in the law of the Lord. The only way I can do that is to be put in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And what, how does he describe this tree then? I want to be this tree. Verse 2, who doesn't want, verse 3, I'm sorry, who doesn't want to be this tree? Who doesn't want to be one that's standing strong in the midst of adversity? Who doesn't want to be the one that's flowing with streams of water, peace, and happiness? All of us want to be that tree. tree. I want to be a pillar of strength. I want to be a pillar of joy. I can only be that pillar of joy, that pillar of strength, when I'm in that state of blessedness, when I'm in that relationship with the Creator of the universe through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we can be today, in a perpetual state of happiness, even though we're sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. I invite you today to enter into a perpetual state of happiness, even though you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let us pray. God, I love you. Praise your name this morning. Lord, we just want to lift up the name of Jesus today and say, Jesus, you are our all. You are our strength. You are our righteousness. God, forgive us when we minimize you. Forgive us when we put ourselves on the throne. This morning, Lord, I pray for anyone here that's not in a perpetual state of happiness. God, I pray this morning that you would convict their heart, move upon them to confess of their sin, and profess faith in Jesus. At this time, O Lord, we confess to you that we are sinners. But we profess to you that we believe in Jesus as our righteousness and as our perfection. God, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your blessing. Restore us to paradise. In Jesus' name, amen.